welcome to Creative Conversations, the Tiger Spirit podcast, exploring and celebrating the creative process in life, the arts and business. I'm your host, Yang Mei Ui. I'm an author and podcaster. Today, we have something a little different. My guest is Tony Dillon, and I spoke to him for my other podcast, Rewilding My Life. I'm winding down that other podcast, so I'm moving my conversation with Tony over here to Creative Conversations. Tony Dillon is an ex-lawyer and currently a consultant with creative businesses down on the South Coast. While the focus of our conversation was on reconnecting with nature, there is a lot in it that is also related to creativity and creative thinking. So I hope you will enjoy listening to our conversation. So Tony Dillon, we're in your lovely flat uh, in Bexhill uh, with um, a wonderful view of the sea. I think for our listeners, if you could just describe what we can see. Well, first of all, Yangmei, thank you, thank you very much for asking me to to uh, to contribute to to the project. Uh, and in terms of what we can see, we are are sitting in my lounge, uh, which is on in my flat on the top floor uh, of a 1960s block of flats in Bexhill on Sea. Um, so we're with views directly onto the seafronts. Um, so in terms of what we can see, uh, we can see an awful lot of sky in both <laughs> both directions and, of course, the sea. Um, and the thing that strikes you here is just how much bigger it is than, than you think it was. And I think, you know, the, the, the theme of rewilding my life is about reconnecting with nature. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your life was like in London? Well, in, in London, I think my life was not, not very natural, as, as, <laughs> as many people who live in, in, in big cities will, will find. Um, first of all, I mean, I'm not originally from London, like most people. I, I came there because of work. So I actually grew up in a, in a little town called Blundellsands, which is on the estuary of the River Mersey. So the sea was always part of my childhood. Um, l- like everybody, I went to London for work. And my working life in London was I, I worked as a lawyer and then I worked as, as on the management side in various media companies. Um, I was lucky I lived in a nice little house, but it was in zone two. Um, so space was at a premium. It was a lovely street, but there was a certain amount of awareness of the fact that, you know, the tube ran under the properties behind me and there was a main road nearby. Um, work meant there's two, I mean, the combination of law plus media basically equals long hours. Um, so in terms of lack of contact with nature, I think as, as for many office dwellers, it was literally the fact that, you know, you're in a concrete box 12 hours a day. Um, so that there was a lot of that. There was a lot of long hours and looking at a screen and being in meetings and, and, and also an awful lot of noise, I think, is what I mostly remember from London. And um, pollution seemed to also affect your health, you were saying. Well, I managed to, through thinking that I'd made quite a good decision in terms of where I lived and where I worked, I, I then found out that I'd spent basically 20 years li- living and working next to the two most polluted streets in the UK, uh, which is Oxford Street and the Euston Road. So I think um, that when I, mean, I looked at all the stuff, particularly before they introduced um, the congestion charge and got rid of sort of diesel and stuff like that, the, the pollution levels were really worrying. And there's some very worrying research still to do with the levels of uh, nitrogen uh, pollution. Um, so I, I'd... Um, had a few allergies as a child, and then I just found that the longer I stayed in 
in London, just the worse it got. And um, it's not that there was anything seriously wrong wrong with me. And people can make a choice to change their lives because they've had something very um, serious happen. And that wasn't the situation with me, thank goodness. But I just noticed that I, I felt that the level of inflammation increased in my body. Um, and that sounds not very scientific, but, but that's just what I felt was, was going on. And I was becoming sensitized to more and more things, which uh, was becoming quite a nuisance. And so it was, a, it was affecting your, your health. And you were um, telling me just uh, before we started the podcast about having terrible eczema. I, I, I developed um, a, a sort of a skin allergy, which they tried to work out. I went to a, a consultant at St. Thomas's, and they tried to work out what was um, causing it, and they did all these tests that they do with allergies. So I had all these little bits of metal on my back with the tape, and I wasn't allowed to have a shower for two days, which is really unpleasant. Uh, and then they gave me this long list of things that I was allergic to, which shockingly included latterly wine, um, because of the sulfides that they put in most, most wines. So they worked out that there were all these allergies that I had, and the effect of it was that at one point, if I got stung by any insect, even a midge bite, my legs would swell up. I get these massive welts. And then I got this sort of skin allergy on my hands that meant that, you know, that I was at one stage wearing white gloves like Michael Jackson. Oh, that's not <laughs> a good state to be in. <laughs> Which is not where I wanted to be. And, and um, what did your doctor say when you were asking about Well, that? I went on to see her because um, when I had the swelling with my legs, uh, my GP sent me off there, took photos, um, which I thought was quite alarming, and sent me off to St. Thomas's. And so I said, look, you know, I just want to manage this condition and hopefully, you know, get better. Uh, but I said, you know, I, I don't want, you know, because she then started mentioning to me that I might get anaphylactic shock. Um, so I thought, right, I really don't want that. So I said, what can I do to avoid, you know, sort of ha- ha- having these these incidents? And she just said sort of, and she wasn't being facetious, she was just being very blunt. She just said, uh, live near a major hospital. Oh, my goodness. No, thank you. No, <laughs> um, no. no not good. So um, what prompted your move out of London? Well, I, I, I enjoyed my work very much, but it was rather all-consuming. Um, so I had one job that I particularly enjoyed, and uh, that company was taken over, and so I was made um, redundant together with all the other directors. Um, and I carried on doing other projects after that, but none of them quite hit the spot. So I'd always been interested in coaching, um, and I felt that I wanted possibly to make that part of a portfolio career. So I thought, this is the opportunity to do that. And so I started doing the coaching chain, uh, training but then I just had in the back of my mind, particularly because I felt I was receiving all these messages from my body telling me, please get me out of all this pollution. I really don't like it here. Um, so I thought maybe it's not just a question of fiddling around with my working life. I possibly need a, a bigger change. And so what led you to, um, well, to, to the seaside and to Bex Hill? Well, um, I was thinking about this sort of earlier on, and we talked, touched on it a bit over lunch, is that there's a nice thing when you combine the law with television, uh, which is that one, one thing that people are very keen on in both areas is research. So there is a job which is TV research, and obviously lawyers uh, spend a lot of time research, researching things to help their clients make good decisions. So um, it's good when you're making a change and you can basically enjoy the process, because I embarked on... Um, this project of basically, I visited probably 50 seaside towns. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so all the way really from, I think, a place called 
Walton on something in Essex, right the way as far as Lyme Regis in Dorset. Um, and I just went and just had a look look at places. And so you had in your mind that you wanted to move out of London and you wanted to move to the seaside. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that was fairly clear to me. I, 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 thought, I, I thought actually of my childhood and I just thought of walking along the promenade at uh, Crosby Beach with my grandmother. And I also, I remember I came down to one of the seaside towns and I read something about the beneficial health effects of sea air and the Victorians were very into that and they weren't wrong. Um, And so I thought, no, I really do want to be near the sea. I did look at some market towns and and being more inland and very pretty places like the Cotswolds, parts of Kent. But I thought, no, I I would love to be near the sea. So can you um, describe for us your, your life now in Bexhill by the sea in contrast to what it was like in London? <laughs> well, it's, it really is. It's, it's enormously different. Uh, one thing that hasn't changed is that I always wake up early. But I used to wake up in a, early in, in London because I, I originally worked on, uh, I was the um, production lawyer for a programme called The Big Breakfast. So obviously they work you know, very early in the morning. So I got into that habit of getting up early, which has stayed with me. But now I get up early and there is a thing which I didn't know about, which is pre-dawn. So because my flat has the most amazing views all the way along the coast, is, is you, can, you can go out onto the balcony and you can actually watch the, the sky turns, changes colour uh, just before the sun comes up. And as that is happening, the, the birds start moving. Um, and it's, it's not dawn, it's pre-dawn. Um, and then you get this amazing thing with shadows and all these different colours. Um, so, you know, I have a lot more free time to enjoy the world around me. It's no longer about when I woke up in London, I'd be sitting in my lounge in, in Kentish Town and I'd hear the first tube go. And that was a cue to me right, you need to get going. Um, Whereas here, you know, if I go off and do something early in the morning, I'll go off onto the beach and take photos or I'll cycle to Hastings. um, And, you know, it's great to do things at times when other people aren't around. And um, um, you were telling me uh, again over lunch about the health benefits of the sea, which you just mentioned. Can you just talk a bit more about that? Um, Well, there is a little bit of science to this because I think, you know, I think it's important to do your research. I also think it's important to, you know, to know what you're, you're talking about. So, the, the, apparently it was the Victorians that hit on this idea that it's, um, that it's ozone um, that's good for you in sea air. It actually isn't ozone at all. It's, it's, um, it's a substance called dimethyl sulfide. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not bad for you, but you know, that's what gives the sea air its smell that you know, I think you know, people find quite invigorating. But what's actually good for you about um, being by the seaside is obviously the lack of pollution because I really have gone from one extreme <laughs> to the other because, you know, I'm, I'm fifth floor up here, you know, right on the sea with the winds coming over from uh, Beachy Head. So when the air gets here, there's nothing much in it. Um, and that's a big difference to the cocktail of heavy metals that I was breathing in in, in, in London. Um, so that's a big difference. Yeah, that's great. I didn't really know any of that scientific stuff about the sea. So it's not just the fact that... Um, oh, the sea, you know, going to the seaside is good for you because it's fresh air, but there is actually something... There's the stuff that actually comes off the, the water and, and is in, into the air, and, and sea air is charged with um, negative hydrogen ions, which helps your body um, uh, use oxygen, uh, and it also has an effect on serotonin levels, and so that helps with sleep. So that it is, you know, it, it is, there is 
back up in science with the fact that people sleep better when they're by the sea. And it's because there's been a regulating effect on their serotonin levels. That's fascinating. And um, so, and, and how is your health? Brilliant. You're um, not wearing white gloves, I see. I'm not. I'm so, I am so well. I mean, I, I have to say, you know, I, I, I know people who've had much more serious problems than, than, than I had. Mine were sort of niggles that sort of slowed me down. But the nice thing now is that, is that you know, no skin problems at all. Um, I no longer have asthma, even. You know, I had it sort of mildly as a child, but, you know, I, 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 have, I have no breathing trouble. I will only take an allergy pill now if someone has got a dog or a cat. Um, so no allergies, skin fine. Um, the other thing is you, you get, um, I think vitamin D is also quite important. So you get loads of fresh air and being outside here. Obviously you, you use sunscreen because it can be quite, you know, quite warm in the, in the summer. I'm out and about a lot more. Um, it's much easier to exercise here. <laughs> um, for those of us who don't really like gyms, um, I, I had to be a member of a gym like basically any, anybody in London to sort of keep moving. I didn't like the uh, disgusting behaviour of other men <laughs> in, in gym changing rooms, which is quite shocking. Um, here, I can just jump on my bike and cycle off quite safely. Um, you know, it's, there's not much traffic and there's a fantastic um, coastal cycle path. So you can do fun things and keep active with, without having to interact with, with, with lots and lots of people if you don't want to. It sounds absolutely wonderful. And what about um, the, a sort of sense of community? The, the, the vibe is different when you move out of, of London. Um, I, think, I think I was lucky in London because I, I was part of a small street where people were very friendly and we all got on very well. And also in my work, there's a, a, there is a sort of media industry thing where, where sort of everybody knows each other. Um, so when I moved to Bexhill... I literally didn't know a single person who lived in Bexhill, but I had two friends, one who lived in Brighton and the other um, lives in Battle, um, which is sort of nearby towns, uh, and they both helped quite a bit with the, with the um, transition. Um, and I think, um, I think I mentioned to you the, the idea of having to put your best foot forward. Um, so I did have to do that on one, one occasion. I, I was introduced to somebody uh, via my friend in Brighton, and then he said, oh, I'm going to take you to a restaurant la launch locally. So he said, I'll be there, you know, wearing my hat of, of, of his um, vice chair of the Bexhill Chamber of Commerce. So I thought, you know, he's going to be quite busy. Um, so I'm going to have to make an effort and, and, and meet new people. Um, so I thought, right, I'll, I'll put my best foot forward. And, you know, you scrub up and, and, and uh, put a smile on your face. And uh, I walked into this restaurant and straight away, everybody really friendly, really nice people, had a fantastic evening and, you know, quite rewarding to see that, you know, even when you think at, uh, at 50, you can, still, you can still make changes. And you can still make friends. Oh, yes, no, absolutely. Um, it, it, I, I love what you're, what you're, what you're describing about your, your new life because it's not just about reconnecting with nature, but in a way coming out of, um, of, of an old pattern of life and making new friends. And I think for me, um, rewilding my life... Um, you know, the, the tagline is reconnecting with nature, and that's the quick way of describing it. But actually, it's much 
bigger than that because rewilding is connecting with your authentic self, your natural self. Um, and sometimes I think when we live in the big city, we, we put on not quite airs and graces, but we sort of put on a face because we have to put on quite a hard face to get out there into the bustle and hustle of the city and, and be ambitious and, and do, do well for ourselves in our careers. And, and that can, I think, harden us in a way into an armour or a disguise or a uniform that may lead us to be disconnected with who we really are. Um, and what you're describing is, is just so um, uh, 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 heartwarming to, to hear. And um, you're also saying that you want to give back and that being part of the community for you is also giving your time and energy and contributing. Can you talk about that? Well, uh, values are very important to me. Um, I, always, I was lucky. I managed to choose the legal jobs that I did according to working for organisations that I believed in their values. So I, I worked for the BBC. Um, the company I was a director of, we were very committed to corporate social responsibility, so we supported a number of community projects and charities. But myself, I, I couldn't actually, the one thing I couldn't give of was too much of my own time. I could organise things, but I didn't actually have the time to spend with people. So when I came down here, I thought, you know, I've tra trained as a coach and, and mentor. I've had conversations with teenagers, with, with, um, uh, with, with friends' children. Um, but I wanted to become involved in, involved in some mentoring, and I joined a scheme that's run nationally by, by an organisation called the Careers and Enterprise um, Company, uh, and uh, the role that I, I have is I'm an enterprise advisor, and what the scheme is is it matches up people who've got experiences of a profession or a business or an occupation, and it matches them up with a school, and you support the school in its um, careers advice. It's so what I've done, and I do it with. Um, we have we've had um, training sessions, and we've got you know great tools available to us. And recently, with with um, uh, with, a, with a friend from Bexhill, we went along to uh, the local oh, well, a school in St Leonard's. We took part in a careers options morning where we interacted with 240 um, 15 and 16 year olds about their future career choices and and. Uh, I, you know, I think to have the time to do something like that is 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 very is very precious. And so, what what do you personally, um, uh, what have you um, got out of that giving of your time? Um, I think I think that maybe when you when you think, um, okay, I'm getting to a stage in my life where actual working is working for a job in a company in an office is not my top priority but I have a certain amount of experience and some skills that I don't want to uh, lose it's the ability to employ those skills to help other people make good decisions um, and I do feel that you know one of the reasons why I was able to achieve the things that I wanted to achieve is because I had a very supportive family and, and my father works in education and my mother was very sort of enabling. Um, so I had a lot of support in making the decisions that I made. And, and I think it shouldn't be the case that only certain people have that opportunity for positive interaction with, with other adults in helping them make decisions. And I'm very interested in the idea of how do people make choices um, so to be involved in that process, I always find fun. Mm. So it's not just about uh, me, me, me. I'm going to I'm going off to the seaside, and I'm going to live my my you know the, the the best life of my dreams. It's about 
um, being part of a, a community um, uh, in terms of friendship, but also passing on skills and contributing, giving back mm. to people who may be less fortunate than, than, than you and, and having a real impact on these young people's lives so that they can have the choice, they can have options to make choices for themselves. You can do it a sort of fairly, I mean, it's, it's good that we both worked as lawyers because if you've worked in an organisation, there are certain things that you take for granted because we've done so much of it. So, for example, I've interviewed so many people because, I, you know, I was a department head for effectively for 20 years. So I've done a lot of interviewing. So one thing you can do at a fairly basic level if you've worked in, in any job is basically demystify for the young person what it's like going for an interview. Um, and also I, my main purpose when I go into a school or when I take anyone into a school is to prove that, you know, people who've been lawyers or, or TV producers or whatever else, whatever else is worked in engineering, we've got all kinds of people from all sorts of different backgrounds, that they haven't got two heads <laughs> and that they're approachable. And it's, it's good to be able to say to people, well, you can maybe start imagining what it would be like to, to be doing the job that that person is describing. Gosh, that actually that gives me goosebumps because it's about letting someone dream and not to say, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. Well, you could. You, mm. could, be, you could be whoever, whatever you want. And in the way that maybe sometimes when um, we've been stuck in, the, in, 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 in our little um, pods in the office in London, thinking, oh, I could never move to the seaside, you know, you made that transition. And for the young people, they're starting out in life, they might think, well, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be able to... Um, have the job of my dreams but what you're saying is you could I think I think you know there's a there's a I, I worry about people thinking that things are cliches but the thing with cliches is that you know is that there's an element of truth in them so people often talk about life being being a journey that's probably one of the biggest <laughs> cliches um, but I don't think there's anything there's anything wrong in that if you if you basically are just saying to people look think about taking a step so you don't have to think, gosh, that seems an awfully long way away. We just think, well, you're interested in that. You think, you know, that's something you might want to do. So, so what's, what's a positive step you can take next? You know, can you look into that course? What might it be like? Can you talk to someone who's two years older than you who might already have done that A-level or whatever else it is? You know, is there somebody from, uh, from, from a local business who can tell you about what it's like to be a carpenter or a motor, motor mechanic or whatever it is that you're interested in? Just, just encouraging people to take that next step that brings the dream closer, so it's not so it's not so distant and, and, and unachievable. Which is a good opportunity to, for my next question, which is for many people who might be listening to this, who are stuck in an office um, and who are having to commute in the crowded tube trains and all that, and thinking, oh, I really wish I could move to the seaside or move to somewhere closer to nature or just make a change in their lives. Um, what would you? What, what would be your sort of um, tips about that? I think how you use your time when you're working full time is 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 really important. I found towards the end of of my working full time in London that I was spending the weekends recovering from the week, <laughs> and it's not that I was out caning it <laughs> during the week. Um, it just was that you know th th those kind of hours are quite draining after a while. So I think if you, and I always say to people, if you can try and make some space in your life for some of the things that are going to make it better for you, whatever that might be. So whether it be exercise or even... I love the resilience of people in London who might be living in a tiny flat with a little fire escape outside their kitchen and they're growing herbs or something like that. So I think, you know, do something that, br that brings it a little bit more into your life. 
we're lucky. I was thinking about this um, the other day in London. There's a lot. There's beautiful parks. So get out into the parks, even if it's just you know for half an hour at lunchtime if you're nearby. Uh, I used to try and do that whenever whenever I could, um, because this this thing of I, I really felt you know being in artificial light and staring at, especially as as everything went online in the 90s and everything became about emails and looking things up on the internet and reading documents on your screen instead of printing them off, which I think is very bad practice, is that people are just are spending so much time in artificial light looking at screens and it's just, just, just not very good for them. Mm. And I think it is true that over time life has, these, these devices that are, were supposed to help us make our lives better um, and I, I think it depends on how you use them but they can suck you down a particular path where you they run your life and they make um, they, they encase us in a little screen our lives become uh, an interaction with screens um, rather than being out uh, and and in, in the real world and being out in, in fresh air and you know putting away that screen and having open skies open vistas it's even worse for, for young people because when you speak to teenagers there is this thing now um, of anxiety over social media um, so I've, I've had conversations with, with a, a couple of young, young women lately who've mentioned that if they don't respond to someone's chat on Snapchat, you know, it's considered that, you know, that they're being rude or they're being stat- standoffish and they'll be less popular. You know, the number of likes they get on, on, a, on a photo is important to them. And so we've, we've created, as you, as, you, as you say, you know, these devices are supposed to open up possibilities for us but actually they've become a source of anxiety for a lot of people. So I think, you know, getting away from screens, and we've been together since half past 11 this morning and I've looked at my phone once, uh, and that's the way it should be. Um, I've had other people who've come down, by the way, and thank you very much for not, for not doing this. If you'd had to do it, then it would have been up to you. But, I've, you know, literally they're looking at the phone all the time. Oh, I'm just going to text such and such. And it's like, well, how about actually being in the moment now? You know, us, the two of us, talking, having a proper conversation, not being distracted by, you know, somebody in London or your boss or, or whatever else. So I think... Uh, you know, certainly switching that off. And I think get, going back maybe to thinking, well, you know, this technology is supposed to help us. So the technology can help with making transition because, as I mentioned before, you know, research is important. It's an awful lot easier to research things these days. If you're interested in moving to, to Lewis or, or wherever, you can look up what's the population, what are the transport uh, links like, what the, how much the properties cost, what, what does it actually look like walking down the, um, the high street. You can do that all from wherever it, it is that you are. Yes, and actually um, technology helped us connect uh, mm-hmm. and reconnect again because um, uh, Tony and, and, and I um, knew each other about 20 years ago, and we lost touch just because of busy lives and, and whatever. Um, and then uh, we reconnected through Facebook. Um, and actually, the reason I'm down here is because um, of seeing Tony's um, uh, photos. Over the summer, he was uh, cycling around, taking all these fantastic photos of the seaside. And I thought, oh, I want a bit of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I have to say, I mean, it's, it's not another little teenage expression, which I quite like, is they talk about swag. <laughs> um, so there's a, there's a, it's not swag because it's genuine. It is actually what I do <laughs> but it's also i i don't show something that's unachievable and exclusive a, a lot of what i do is open access free 
and and I love that. And and I I mentioned to you that I I believe in supporting sort of arts and cultural uh, organisations around here. So that you, you can do that through membership. So I'm a member I'm a member at the Delaware Pavilion and at the Jerwood Gallery in Hastings. And I think it's very important that people who are able to do that can join and support them, both financially and physically, uh, because it enables them to offer things to free for people. So I I love the fact that you know being here at the seaside. Uh, the beach is free. It's not in the south of France. In the south of France, the decent beaches, you have to go to a hotel, you have to pay 20 euros for a sun lounger. You know, I it's all know free. That. It's all free here. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, it's good. I, I can sit here in my flat in the summer and, and uh, at the weekend we had probably close to 10,000 people came down for the festival on the sea that was just along the seafront from where I am, just in front of, uh, of the Delaware. And I like the fact that, you know, people come from Tunbridge and London and wherever else they come from. They come for the day. Uh, they get their, their fix of these beautiful views uh, of the sea air. They get free entertainment. They, you know, they, they, they get that experience and, and, and it, it's, it's available to everybody. Brilliant. So reconnecting with nature doesn't take that much effort. It's, it's free. You, you can jump on a train and come down to the south coast. I mean, in fact, you know, the wonderful thing about Britain being an island is that there's loads of coastline. Um, or just go to a local park, uh, as, as Tony suggests. So, um, Tony Dillon, thank you very much. And thank you very much. My creative conversation today was with Tony Dillon. There are photos and links to some of the things we talked about on the show notes page. You can use the bit.ly short link, which is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. Or you can go to the Tiger Spirit blog, which is at tigerspirit.co.uk forward slash blog, and search for CCV0302, Tony Dillon on Reconnecting with Nature. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Conversations podcast, please do share it with your friends wherever you share stuff. Or you can subscribe to the show or leave us a lovely review on anchor.fm, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All this will help more people hear about the show. The Creative Conversations podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. The podcast web link again is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. I'm Yang Mei Ui. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as at Tiger Spirit UK. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.